He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there, lovely people on the internet. I'm Matthew Galt. This is Cyber. You know, for many, playing video games for a living is a dream come true. Whether you're streaming on Twitch or doing speedruns for charity, there are viable ways to earn a living playing video games. But you get NFTs and the blockchain into the mix, and, well, get a whole different system. Today, we're going to talk about Axie Infinity, the most popular of the so-called play-to-earn games. The promise of Axie and others is that you can earn money simply by playing the game. But how much? Is the game actually fun? Is it easy to cash out and spend your hard-earned tokens on things in the real world, like groceries and gas, and... Wait, does this game have bosses? Managers? What the hell is going on? Well, here to help us untangle this hellishly complicated dystopic nightmare is Motherboard staff writer Edward Ngueso Jr. He has just published an incredible piece on the site, all about Axie Infinity, titled The Metaverse Has Bosses Too. Meet the Managers of Axie Infinity. Sir... Thank you so much for coming onto the show and, and walking us through one of the most depressing reads I've had in quite some time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And it was, uh, yeah, it was not fun to report. I mean, it wasn't a way, but not really, you know. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm sure you're getting into it and it's a good story and it's fun to be, you know, getting into it. But then what it says about us is depressing. Yeah. But let's let's get some basics out of the way first. So for the blessedly ignorant... What is Axie Infinity? So Axie Infinity, uh, think of it as like a crypto Pokemon trading game. You know, uh, to play the game, you have to have NFTs because the, the um, NFTs represent monsters that battle each other and generate tokens for you. You have to start off with a team of three NFTs. Um, these NFTs fight each other. You can have, there's PVE content, there's PVP content, um, and generally the goal is to just grind it out, burn energy. Um, generate tokens and maybe burn them by trying to breed more axes or cash them out or use them to buy in-game stuff. So did you play any of this in the course of your no. reporting on it? <laughs> I mean, I, I am pretty familiar with it because I, I was able to sit down and talk with people who did play it, watch them play it, um, and had questions and had them guide me through uh, play sessions. But I did myself did not play it. Um, I think largely because, uh, you know, the game after after going through it and play, and you know having people guide me through playing uh, the game, you recognize it pretty quickly. I mean, if you've played any sort of game that maybe has an energy function that's made to limit how much you can play, but also is a function to get you to spend more money, right? To uh, keep coming back, you pl- you understand some of the core dynamics here, and the the real difference is crypto being thrown in not so much mechanics and play style right it sounds like a pretty straightforward uh mobile game yeah basically Mm -hmm. and it looks a lot like like you said like pokemon or neopets or any of these other you know we've seen a thousand of these Mm you know it's not it's not a particularly unique um game right the real the new element of it is that it was one of the first to really deeply integrate um crypto into it right it has its own blockchain it has its own token it has its own mechanisms for burning the tokens generating more of the tokens it has a 
you know, has a way for you to trade the tokens for other tokens. I think those are the elements that are novel because it was the first to get there. Okay, so can you explain like how NFTs are incorporated into the game? Like what what exactly are you earning when you're playing? Right. So Axie Infinity has a few core tokens. Uh, the first is uh, Smooth Love Potion SLP. You know, this is a token you generate by fighting. Um, and before large changes that happened in February, you would gain it basically by playing a PVE mode, a PVP mode. Um, uh, and, and and it was it's basically used as a you know as a closest exchange or cash of value to ETH, Ethereum, right, or USDC, which are things you can trade the currencies for. Um, and the NFTs also allow you to generate AX, AXS, right? Uh, this is called an Axie Infinity Shard. It's the governance token. Um, their plans initially, I'm not sure the the status of the plans now, uh, but there were plans to try to turn the game into a uh, into a user owned game, right? And have a governance token AXS that would allow players to have decision making uh, based on how many votes they could buy, essentially how many tokens they could buy. Uh, this token is used in breeding axes, um, the NFTs, and generating new ones. Um, and it is awarded at the end of seasons when you play this uh, player versus player, you know, arena style mode. Um, and then there is um, another token called Ronin, right? And that is the native token on the side chain, the blockchain that they created so that all the transactions could happen quicker and they would be cheaper. Um, and this one at the moment, there are, you know, a limited number of ways to actually generate it. Um, um, but it is conceivably going to be developed or was going to be developed as a token that could help, um, you know, buy other assets that would be, uh, turned into NFTs or turned into commodities in the ecosystem. That it doesn't sound like you're talking, describing a video game at all. No, uh, <laughs> no. It, it sounds like you're talking about a financial product. Right. Um, I'll be honest. I barely followed all of that. All yeah. Of that. I mean, and I think, I think that's illustrative, right? Where um, a lot of times when you're playing a video game, uh, you can sink hours and hours and hours and hours into it. And you're sinking the hours into it because you're pulling enjoyment out of it. You're pulling joy out of it. Here, you're kind of hard limited to spending only a few hours in that. And then a lot of the rest of the time, if you are involved, is figuring out how to generate more of these tokens, figuring out how to trade them, figure out maybe using other accounts and playing with those accounts. You know, um, a video game, I think, as we all understand it, you can come in and out at any time and play whenever you want, however you want. Whereas here, it's very sharply limited how much time you can really play based on the energy function. And any additional time you do is clearly just to generate money, right? All right. So if I wanted to get in right now, I wanted to start playing Axie Infinity and I wanted to start making a little bit of money. Is there, can I just jump in? Is there an initial startup cost? How does that work? Yeah, yeah there's initial uh, startup cost. I mean, when the game was at its peak, the startup cost was a few thousand dollars. And it would cost you yeah, <laughs> about $3,000 to buy the NFTs. And that's why... This other system emerged, the scholarship system, right? Where instead of buying, you rent an NFT from me. I have NFTs and I want to, and I'm, and I'm a benefactor. And, uh, you can rent my NFT so long as you agree to a bunch of conditions I have. Sometimes 
almost all the time, those conditions include a percentage of the SLP that you generate. Um, and that can be anywhere from 25 to 75%, uh, depending on how I feel. Um, but also they sometimes include stipulations like you need to be competitive and at a certain ranking in the PVP. Uh, you need to be logging in, you know, this many days of the week. And if you don't, then I'm going to cut you and then give your, your NFTs to someone else. Um, but as time has shifted and as the prices have collapsed, you know, um, hugely, I think that, uh, now the startup cost is only a few hundred dollars. Granted, you're not going to make anywhere near as much money, right? So you probably won't make back that startup capital, but don't, it's only $200, $300 if you want to play. Why would anyone <laughs> do this? So the game is uh, aimed at people who want to make money off of crypto. Well, there's a few things. There's money largely marketed towards people in the global south, uh, trying to convince them that Hey, you can play this game if you're in the Philippines, if you're in Vietnam, if you're in Colombia or Venezuela, if you're in Brazil, if you're in a country where maybe the minimum wage is relatively low or the earnings you have are low, or if you're a child um, or someone who, for one reason or another, can't work and earn a significant amount of money, you play a few hours a day and you generate this token and you help, um, you know, you help grow our ecosystem and you make some money back. Uh, you make more money back than you might have otherwise made, right? This could be the argument Five, six months ago, at the peak around in November, when you could make a few hundred dollars a month, and arguably that would be more than the minimum wage that you might make. But it has not been like that for a long time, and it's not even clear if it ever was like that, right? There was a research report that was published around November, October, November, that suggested that, you know, in the Philippines, for example, where a huge chunk of the player base is, and where a lot of this rhetoric about how Players are entrepreneurs, they're liberating themselves from traditional employment, they're having fun and earning money, and they're earning more than they might with the minimum wage. It suggested that about a third of the workers or more were earning below the minimum wage um, uh, when you actually factored in the cost, the cuts to the managers, um, how much time they were spending on that as opposed to anything else, um, that it ends up not actually being a sustainable way of working, but People stay on because it's crypto, because they believe, or this is general miasma of a belief that token at any point potentially could jump. Right. It's the it's that hypothet those hypothetical riches you're going to get in the future. Um, one of the things I really enjoy about this story, maybe enjoy is the wrong word. One of the things I found fascinating about this story. Um, and we're going to get to this G14 watches who just said, this reminds me of early world of Warcraft criticism. Oh wait, we'll get there. Just, just give us a minute. Um, but you, you got all these incredible quotes from the people involved in all of this, the managers that you spoke with who, uh, I think we talked offline. You said something like they've been involved in this world so much that they don't realize how screwed up what they're saying is. Uh, mm -hmm. This one I thought was really good. Quote, 90% of people will not play a game unless they are being properly valued for that time. In five years, you will actually have value. You will actually value your time properly. And instead of being harvested for advertisements or being fleeced for dollars to buy stupid hammers you don't actually own, you'll be playing some on-chain equivalent game that will be just as fun. You can actually earn value and you will be the harvester. Where, where, who, who said that and in what context? Yeah, that's a Reddit co-founder, uh, Alex Ohanian, uh, Ohanian. Um, 
And he's a venture capitalist at this point, and he's been investing and trying to find play-to-earn games that have uh, you know potential to grow and be mm-hmm. huge money makers, right? A lot of the financial, you know interest in backing this is a lot of people saying, you know, the rhetoric is that you'll be able to liberate yourself again from employment. You'll be able to generate huge returns that you wouldn't normally see in a traditional job because you're generating this asset that is speculative and could grow and could be invested in other speculative enterprises. Uh, But really a lot of it is these people are inserting themselves into a process where they're trying to commodify gaming even more deeply, um, inflate the value of it, pull out, a lot of value from it and leave, you know, gamers, individuals who are coming into a game that might not otherwise play, um, holding the back. Right. Uh, I think it's important. The word harvester in there, right. Why is it that more of our time, you know, our leisure needs to be converted into a activity that is commodifiable and that generates money. Right. I understand part of it is because, you know, for some people, they, they're not able to earn a living, uh, living wage or a sustainable wage. But the solution for that is not to turn what little time they have to themselves into a potential earning opportunity, not just for themselves, but for a venture capitalist who inserts themselves into that time. The solution is to figure out ways where society itself can actually provide for them, right? Um, and I think that it, you know, it is worrying that these people, these venture capitalists, these financiers are taking advantage of people's general dissatisfaction um, or poverty or, um, and, and saying that if you allow me to get a cut, then I can take this all, you know, to that special place where we're all going to make money together. We're all going to make it, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, got a, a good comment from chat, I think, uh, speaks to this. Uh, from not Mickey, I think Mickey, maybe this sounds exactly like someone who grew up in free to play and world of Warcraft and other games that use psychology to keep your thoughts on the game and keep you coming back. And instead of saying, Hey, maybe games can be for fun says, Hey, these unfun patterns should at least reward the players somehow. Um, and there, it sounds like they're trying to figure out like what bread breadcrumbs they can sprinkle in front of people to keep them coming back to these games that are, as you said, feel like engines for people at the top to make money at the by exploiting the labor of everyone under them. And the labor is like sad because you're yeah. not growing or generating anything other than outside outside of the ecosystem of the game itself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the whole community is more or less founded on what types of teams can we construct that optimally generate more of this token that we will use to try and earn a living. You know, I think that's a very ghastly vision of a game or leisure if you want it, right? Um, you know, yeah, you can have games where people sit together and try to optimize builds or optimize damage that they do or optimize some other aspect. But that is not anywhere close to let's figure out how to optimize it, take the fun out of it, take any sort of, you know, real enjoyment, leisure, and only use it to generate more money that we can then either pull out or pour back in, right? And and again, it is important to emphasize that the way that the economy is structured, uh, people are encouraged, like that person said, people are encouraged to pour more of their time and their energy into it, right? And in a traditional setting, in a traditional free-to-play game with, you know, pay-to-play aspects or some MMO uh, that's encouraging you to pay, 
um, there is not that huge speculative rift that will allow this, the financiers to make uh, you know hundreds of millions potentially if this were something that gained uh, wide adoption, right? Um, this is why firms like A16Z, like um, like Alex Onahanian's firm uh, fund are you know so eager to just drop money into various play to earn metaverse uh, crypto game ventures because they understand that you can generate a huge return on your investment because these people are going to believe that they can, that they just need to generate the value and that they need to push up the speculative value and then they'll cash out. But in reality, you're the one who's going to be able to cash out far before them. Yeah. And this brings up the Ponzi scheme of it all, but let's pause here for a break for the podcast recording. Uh, If you're watching this on Twitch, we will back immediately. If you're listening to the podcast, version. Thank you. Stick around. We'll be right back after this small ad break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, cyber listeners, thank you for uh, tuning into the show. We are talking about Axie Infinity. And Ed, you just kind of alluded to what I would think of as a Ponzi scheme. Um, And again, direct quotes here. Uh, quote, as we stand right now, Axie Infinity is a Ponzi scheme. It's built on new players coming into the world. Uh, who said that? That was Connor Kenny, who's a YouTuber, uh, that, uh, we talked to once and then get, and has, you know, a channel where he kind of, you know, does the necessary disclaimer. This is not financial advice. This is just my journey through the game or through crypto land or crypto world. Um, but he's someone who plays Axie. Um, and has been playing for some time, invests a lot of money into it. And in this video, he's going over whether or not he's making money back on various investments, meaning on NFTs that he's breeding or renting, uh, scholars that he has working for him and he considers employees, um, as well as whether it's worth it for you to jump in at that point, right? Because as he makes the video and as he points out in the video, the price of the core tokens have been dropping reliably not just as a function of the large crypto sell-off that started in November, right? But also just because there has been slow growth in other parts of the crypto markets, right? Slower NFT trading has negatively affected Axie, as has a reduction in the number of players, right? And and as a result, as the core tokens get less valuable, right? And there are less players getting involved, uh, there's a less there's a less incentive for people to actually be playing the game, trading the game, pumping up the value, trying to pump up the value, and and your investment is harder and harder to make a return on. A lot of the managers I spoke to had not seen a return, except for the ones who had large uh, teams of scholars working underneath them because they earned back their money um, six seven months ago. So it really sounds like it is this. It's, again, another version of this thing we've seen in Silicon Valley over and over again in the past 20 years. We've seen it in Uber, which you've written about extensively. Um, WeWork, where 
they have this dream and they say, we just spend enough money and we grow exponentially in a certain way and the car, the stars all align. Eventually one day this is going to make money for everybody. And it never seems to quite pay off. What, like, I know this is kind of outside the remit of maybe this particular episode, but why do you think that particular brain poison keeps circulating? Right. I think there, there are a few ways to think about it. And there are a few, you know, groups have thought about it. There's one group, you know, that kind of believes it's all a cynical thing. That there's an understanding that there's no real value here except the one that we're able to generate. And we're able to generate that through our PR. We're able to generate that through early growth and projections based on that early growth. And we're able to generate that by supporting an ecosystem of things that look like this, that refer back to each other and keep each other growing and, and developing even when there's no actual, there's nothing actually there. Right. Um, and so that is one place to you know, some, one way to think of it. And another is to think of it as, you know, these people need to put the money that they have somewhere so that they can get a return on it because they have obligations, right? Um, in the case of, like, for example, with Uber, with WeWork, with DoorDash, these are all things that are funded or were funded by SoftBank's Vision Fund, which took $60 billion from the Saudi Arabians um, uh, venture uh, or sovereign wealth funds and said, we'll give you a return, right? So you just need, you need to put that money somewhere um, so that they get their return because that's the reason why you have the money in the first place. And if you don't do that, then God help you. They might take assets from your company. They might take assets from the fund itself. They might take the investments. Um, so sometimes it may be very well be cynical desire and greed. Sometimes it is we need to make money. So the way to make money is to just spend it as much as possible and convince people that that, that, that means this is a valuable enterprise. But then there's another group that I think, and I'm kind of you know sympathetic to this one, which is that it blends them together, which is like these people, uh, venture capitalists, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, do have a vision in mind, right? A way they want to make profits and money that right now is illegal or impossible to make, and the way to do that is to either break the law and then change it later, or build the infrastructure for it. So that you can keep cashing out on it and monopolize the, the, all the ramps into this ecosystem or own or finance all the ramps into this ecosystem and then use that to leverage uh, connections, insights, uh, knowledge, information into what else is being developed, what can be developed, what will be developed, right? Um, and I'm sympathetic to the idea that these people are both incredibly cynical and they understand there's nothing there, but also believe that they can build something and they just need to spend a significant amount of money to get there while making that money back. The, we'll see how that goes. Well, yeah, I don't think it will go well, but I hope not. I mean, cause it could, but I hope not. Well, uh, let me ask you this because you just came back from, you were in uh, my home state, Texas. You were at South by Southwest, mm -hmm. uh, which is transformed from like a music festival into, I don't even know what it is. You wrote, you wrote another really depressing piece, uh, which was kind of your vision, your, the, the South by Southwest you saw this year, correct me if I'm wrong. is like this web three marketplace where all these people are trying to make this thing happen and there's yeah. just nothing underneath the surface. Right. What is, can you kind of walk us through the the decadent and depraved version of South by Southwest you saw? Yeah, you know, I will say 
loved Austin. I loved every bit of South by Southwest except for the tech conference, except for the expo, right? Music's great. Movies are great. Those things are there, but they come out a little bit later. But the, but the part that I was there for was largely dominated by crypto funds. I mean, by crypto firms. And part of this is because there was a large sponsor, Blockchain Creative Labs, um, that had a lot of or played a key role in the PR over there. Uh, they hired a lot of firms locally, and these firms were also working with other crypto installations. Um, there are a lot of NFT houses. And so, you know, with an NFT house, the obvious question is, what the fuck do you do with an NFT house? Because NFTs are, you know, JPEGs, right? Or receipts of JPEGs. Um, so, you know, what do you do with a lot of these digital um, PR operations that need to live in the physical world. And one thing that you do is you just create incredibly ridiculous physical manifestations of them that actually feel m- much more hollow than the digital one. Because with the digital one, you can say all this stuff about how, you know, the reason why we're in the digital world and the reason why we're in metaverse, the web three is that we're building a way for people to generate income on re- and revenue on goods or assets that they wouldn't have normally did, right? Um, you know, this is the rationale for making NFTs of music and fractionalizing royalties and and for uh, building communities based on, like, these ugly-ass, you know, JPEGs of, of monkeys or bats or lizards or, you know, and so on and so forth. But when you bring it into the physical, if someone doesn't already understand why you need that digital community which a lot of people don't or they're skeptical of it, then you're just really doing a lot of really colorful statues, um, weird cultish videos about the power of Web3 and the power of the internet, <laughs> you know, that make that honestly made me feel like a boomer because I was just listening, <laughs> just listening to them saying like, we are, the internet will set you free in one way or another, right? A lot of performances, a lot of spectacles to try to lure people in and convince them um, that this is the future, but if you if they're not on board with the digital element, you have to go with all these other ways. You have to create, you know, spectacles with these colorful statues. You have to try to con- conjure up the feeling of a lifestyle that they're missing out on if they're not a part of this community. Um, but it's it's it was incoherent. It was a mishmash of it. A lot of the places I went to never specified what it is they were actually doing with their NFTs or with their crypto projects. So it felt hollow. The art installations. Um, were interesting in some instances, but again, it's it's you know a lot of the times it's you know what what's the difference between this and traditional art galleries? You know why does crypto need to be involved in this? And that was something that a lot of them were not able to answer beyond more money, you know, which um, you know could be an answer to some, but that I don't think that justifies even further commodification, right? Um, you know, a lot of it ended up really just being nightmarish visions for me of like here's a really badly rigged projection screen um watch our you know pitch video uh, about why buy an nft um and that that actually surprised me too because these are companies with hundreds of millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars behind them why are they putting together presentations that i could have put together for them (laughs) you know like (laughs) what um I was going to I was going to ask what if we're wrong, but I think there's a better analogy because I was thinking about like that period in the mid 90s. I just wrote that story about the launch of Windows 95 um, and was kind of thinking about that period in the culture when the Internet was here and there were people that were hip to it. There's also a lot of people that were just like, why would you do this? This doesn't make any sense. 
and it completely transformed the world, right? But before we got to that place, we did have this period in the late 90s, early 2000s, where, you know, pizza.com was selling for millions of dollars and no one knew what they were going to do with it. Do you think we're in kind of that space now where there's this, there's maybe something here for NFTs and Web3, maybe we don't quite understand, but after this capital frenzy kind of dies off or the bubble bursts, maybe something will come along that's after it that will actually shape the future. I think that, you know, sure, as they are right now, as NFTs and crypto exist right now, it could transform the world. The question is, what did they do it in a way that we would like, right? You could introduce NFTs to every aspect of life to commodify, provide proof of, allow the exchange of, and financialize everything from attendance to membership to record medical records to music or to IP um, to land. Uh, you could use this sort of technology to you know quantify and trade every single thing. And that would revolutionize and transform the world. But would it revolutionize and transform it in a way that is desirable, that is socially useful, that is, um, you know, centering human beings and their welfare? No. Uh, right. The question is, how can we what what about these technologies? If anything, do we want to preserve and figure out a way to integrate into a socially useful and productive uh, form? And as it is right now, I don't understand in what way, shape or form any of what is being advocated for does that. I see what the use is if you are a venture capitalist, if you're a financier, if you're a record executive, if you're a business person, right? I, the, it's very clear what the use cases are. It's not clear how we use any of this to make a regular person's life better in a way that doesn't require them to pay for more things, right? Or to subject themselves and degrade themselves on the market. You know, I am, and and that I think is the ultimate question here. Like, I, I think it's clear that these sorts of technologies will have an effect on the world, but in which direction is is in conflict. And I and I would like for the market driven solutions to crash and burn because they are terrifying in most instances. Let me let me throw this out at you from the chat, uh, and then I want to swing back more focus on Axie because there is some news that that is that that changed the story a little bit. Um, so this is from G14 Watches, who I'm gathering from the chat is pro uh, DeFi, uh, at least. Um, quote, he's kind of talking about what your, your answer just now. Uh, what about its philosophical core of decentralized power and credible neutrality? I think there's been there's been uh, some work on this. I think it's interesting. Uh, Pierce Marks wrote about it most recently um, about the question of decentralization, right? I think decentralization and the idea or the ability to have groups, communities immune from coercion and domination by some central force is a good ideal. But it is not clear to me that decentralization in of itself always does that. Like, I don't think that decentralization is a replacement for politics in the sense that you can have a decentralized a group of people in, you know, maybe the marketplace, right? But if various groups of them have more resources to negotiate or to, to navigate the market, it doesn't really, the decentralization didn't really create something neutral, right? 
it, it, it didn't, it didn't like, you know, disrupt, you know, relations between people in a way that is going to yield some different outcome where those people with more resources in that decentralized environment are going to win out. So the question is like, how do, yeah, we would like decentralization. I would like people to be able to immune themselves and inoculate themselves from some central entity controlling their lives and dictating what they have to do. But how do we do that in a way where you also just don't give free reign to well-financed and well-capitalized actors and groups in that? How do you prevent collusion, right, from replicating centralization? There are a lot of other questions that aren't answered just by decentralization. And I think that a lot of what you see in crypto is a kind of like a zealous commitment to decentralization, which I get, but also it's like dangerous because right now, as it is, we have a horrible fucked up political economy. Decentralization amongst that is, I think, bad. Figuring out how to fix that background and then decentralization, de- decentralizing, I think is the ideal, right? Watch, watch this segue I'm going to do right here. Um, and also these de- decentralized systems have to hook up to extant centralized systems interact with them and when that happens um bad things can go down uh and maybe crash the economy of your uh play to earn game axie infinity can you tell us about the hack that happened while you were working on this story and what ramifications it had for Axie? yeah (laughs) i think um you know the hack was um the hack is really interesting because uh, so in February, the game had rolled out a bunch of changes saying that, you know, we understand that there are core economic problems with the way that their tokens and their supplier are structured. So we're going to introduce more ways to burn it so there's less inflation. And this will long term, short term, it's going to be very painful. Long term, it will put us all in a better position where the ecosystem will be able to generate and retain more value for everyone. Right. Um, and then, a, you know, those, the value of these things went up a little bit. There's excitement over it. a release that was supposed to come in and be coupled with this update that would probably revitalize the economy. And then this hack happened. And I think this hack, as far as I can tell, kind of fucks up every single plan that they had for the future, right? $600 million was stolen out of a bridge. A bridge is, um, you know, essentially a bank or, you know, or an analogy would be to a bank, right? Where a bridge is a way for you to take assets that are in one blockchain and convert them to another, right? You can use a smart contract to lock it up, and then it will mint out assets on the other end. Um, and so here, you would take Ethereum, you would take uh, Ethereum and USDC from the traditional blockchains, put them in there, uh, put them in the bridge, and then on the Ronin blockchain, you would get AXS, SLP, and RON. Um, so the hack... Um, targeted this bridge, right? The way that they targeted the bridge is that all the transactions had to be approved by these nodes called validators. Um, and so they hacked the validators that Sky Mavis, uh, the, the owner, the studio behind Axie Infinity had. And then they hacked an, a validator that was, you know, had a, that, um, a DAO had access to. The DAO shouldn't have had access to it, but temporarily during um, a period where they needed help managing transactions. Sky Mavis had given this DAO access to that validator. They took over it. They got the signatures. They were able to approve their transaction, right? And then took out about $600 million worth of Ethereum and USDC, um, which is a stable coin pegged to the US dollar. So what does that actually mean, though? That means for people who are have money on Ronin, 
um, you can't take it out, right? You can't take it out because there's no Ethereum backing it. There's no Ethereum in the bank. So you can't actually transfer it out and say, okay, I'm going to leave my uh, Ronin, my my Axie, my, um, my Axie shard, my SLP with you and take out Ethereum. So a bunch of people are left without any actual assets backing uh, the money that they have on the chain. And you also can't deposit anything into there, right? Because they don't have any, um, because, because they're, they're concerned that if, you know, they still don't have the security lockdown, they're worried that if people are putting in Ethereum again, that they might steal it again and they still have to figure out how to make whole everyone who lost the Ethereum and USDC that they had put in in the first place, right? Uh, so this is a nightmare because, um, one, the only option I think, or the two options are to beg investors to make them whole again um, through some negotiation or arrangement that will hurt the Sky Mavis, I'm sure, or dip into the community treasury, right? I don't think either of those are likely. So it's not really clear how uh, that $600 million is going to be replenished, which means it's not really clear how the game is solvent. It's not really clear if the updates that are supposed to roll out are going to happen because they included huge plans to expand the commodification scheme, right? By introducing land that you could speculate on and own on and expanding breeding functions and expanding all these elements of the game that require you to pull in Ethereum and USDC to back and to fund. And, you know, at this point, the game is in limbo, insisting that it's going to make everyone whole again. The update was delayed and it's going to come out in a few days, but it's been delayed multiple times. So I think the hack has thrown a huge wrench to plans for the game and kind of revealed to me that there's a little bit of a deniability about like whether the game can survive or not. If it doesn't make whole everybody, if it like to be clear, if they don't figure out a way to get that money back, the game is dead because that's hundreds of millions of dollars that have been stolen from people. And it's one of the biggest and, single hacks uh, of all time, right? Yeah. It, 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 I think it by itself, it's the, the largest it, hack. It surpassed the cringe hack, right? Mm-hmm. By by fifty or a hundred million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just weird. It's weird. We live in such a weird world now that this the 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 single biggest, most expensive hack of all time is attached to this sub Pokemon thing, right? That that not many people know about really or play unless you're super involved in this world. Um, how's the community taking it? Um, there's a few ways there's, there's confusion about what's happening and also confusion about what's going to happen because for example, Binance, uh, the Binance exchange has started to allow some people, uh, to trade the tokens, even though they're unbacked. And I think in a statement at, you know, Sky Mavis said, you know, thank you for the trust because you have to trust that they're somehow going to make this whole if you're going to allow them to trade tokens that aren't actually backed, right? Um, so, you know, there's confusion about how that's able to happen among the community. There's confusion about when they'll be able to pull out, whether they should stay playing, uh, whether there's any point to keep playing. Um, there's a confusion about whether or not they should just, you know, trust uh, the founders who have been issuing updates or at least tweets and videos suggesting that they're still working on this. Um, I think there's also some resignation among people that this is not really ever going to be handled. I mean, jump had uh, good fortune or bad, depending on your perspective, a parent company who, who had, you know, 300, 320, $330 million 
to just pour back in and make whole. Uh, Sky Mavis is not, right? Again, Sky Mavis has to rely on its investors. And probably the only investor that would even seriously consider this is A16Z. Um, and I can't imagine them shelling out $600 million on this. Uh, that's a significant part of one of the funds that they've put up. Um, and the community treasury, it just like they would have to get the community to agree to it. And I don't think it's good. It's a good sign or precedent. If you know, the largest crypto game, which prides itself on players owning it, players liberating themselves from traditional employment borrows with no clear plan on how to give it back borrows, um, a significant chunk of that treasury. Right. So I don't know. I think some, some players see the writing on the wall and others believe that there's going to be a Hail Mary somewhere. Um, and the company in of itself insists that they're working on it. They're working all day. They're working all night. They're going to figure out how to fix this. You know, just don't worry about it. We're going to make it. We're all going to make it. All right. One more question, just because we teased it up top. Um, and then I'll let you go. Uh, really good questions in chat, by the way, everyone this week. Um, okay. So can we talk a little bit about the world of Warcraft of this all? Is this at all similar, do you think, to the gold farming we saw at the, like the height of when World of Warcraft was popular? I think there are elements of the gold farming that are in play here. You know, it's interesting because I think the fact that there's an explicit commodity that you can trade takes a level, uh, a level further. You know, with gold mining, it's like, yeah, I can have an account, I can mine gold, and then I can offer it up somehow, some way on another marketplace. Whereas here, there is a formal marketplace within the game that you can do that very thing, and all the activity that the players do is structured around that, right? So I think maybe it's like if you made the gold farming aspects of like, you know, World of Warcraft or RuneScape their own game, then that's what you would be dealing with. And then you got to ask yourself, like, is that fun? No. I mean, there's a reason, like, there's a reason why people used bots when they were doing it in RuneScape. And wow, it's because it fucking sucks. You know, uh, I think that a lot of people convince themselves that it's fun. Or a lot of people have said that and bought into which the other underlying problematic part of this rhetoric, which is that gaming should be a job. Right. You know, and that's different from saying from talking about like esports or talking about competitive gaming. Right. Those are not what is going on here. What's going on here is you're supposed to log on, work for a few hours, hit quotas, hit conditions and stipulations, give us huge ch- a cut to your to your boss, and then go home and maybe game the system to earn a little bit more for yourself. You know, right? It's a and, financial system first and a game second. Whereas I think World of exactly. Warcraft was a game first that had financial systems that developed uh, yeah. as an outgrowth of it. Right. Yeah, so it's like, imagine, yeah, it's like, would you play a game where you took the financialized elements of World of Warcraft that grew over years and was just that? No, you know? And yet that's the vision that a lot of these financiers believe is going to liberate a huge chunk of people in the global south, right? Actually, I'm sorry, there's just so many good questions and quotes here. I, I really want to talk about this aspect, too, because it's something that I've noticed when I've <clears throat> covered any kind of crypto stuff that involves the global South. Here's another quote. Um, I also see Axie as a gateway for Filipinos to be educated about crypto, which I believe will help advance them in the future. I've set up crash courses for them about the basics of crypto, how to create wallets, trade, and how to avoid scams, basically making them literate in the crypto world. Who said that? Can you explain why it's gross? 
Yeah, there's this very there's this interesting uh, expat manager, uh, I call him Rafar in the piece, um, and he maintains relatively close ties with his managers, and he sees himself as a sort of like skills trainer provider for them. Right? You work with me. I manage you closely. I help you become your own manager. I help you learn about crypto. I help you learn how to trade crypto. Um, if you need extra money, I give you an Axie account, you work for me, and then you take that money out, right? Uh, there are a few reasons why it's a problem. I think the first is, you know, as he admits, and I think I was able to talk about a little bit in the piece, uh, this doesn't work, right? A lot of the people that he tries to do this for just hold on to it. Why do they hold on to it? Because when you're onboarded into these games, you're told that the part of the reason why you're subjecting yourself to these poor conditions and this this horrible pay is that the tokens will be worth something else in the future, and you need to you need to degrade yourself for a minimum amount of time so that you can get that value, right? So yeah, of course, a lot of people aren't really learning how to trade or stake or hustle, as he might talk about it, uh, because they are being brought on thinking that they'll make money if they just hold on, right? And as he says, you know, a lot of people are holding on for a big purchase. He doesn't really understand it, but he doesn't understand it because he's not in the position of those people. He works a relatively comfortable business job. He does this on the side for even more income, right? And because he enjoys crypto and he likes to, he likes to day trade crypto. He likes to invest in fine things to invest in in crypto. He has a lot of discretionary spending that um, none of his scholars have. None of his scholars have also become managers. So then you have have to raise the question if you're talking about how you know one reason why you really believe in this game is because it will liberate people let them become managers it'll help them learn about crypto but in your experience none of this is actually happening then what's actually going on well what's going on is he was making you know a lot of fucking money that's really what was going on and he was was willing to rationalize it however he is i think that's extends generally right a lot of the people were relatively successful managers, had all these reasons for why they did it, right? And some of them may very well believe that those are the reasons. But you strip those down and it comes down to, I got in at a point where I made a lot of money and I was making a lot of money and now I really don't have to worry about it. So I just keep doing it because it's a minimal investment. I can even pay someone to be the manager and I just get the residual income, right? That's what it comes down to. It's just money making a financial opportunity for all of them. Ain't that the American dream? Yeah, we're living it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I, I've got to let I've got to let you go. We have other things we've got to do. We want to keep this thing under an hour. Really great questions in chat today. Um, a lot of great stuff brought up about World of Warcraft, kind of towards the end, and about things catalyzing into black markets. I think there may actually be a good episode in talking about. Um, how the financialization of World of Warcraft developed and like how Blizzard kind of got on top of that because of the black markets that were developing um, and Chinese labor and like all that kind of stuff I think would be pretty interesting. Uh, so stay tuned. Maybe we'll talk about it on another episode of Cyber. Uh, if you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, if you're just jumping in right now, this will be available as a video shortly and then in about an hour or so as a podcast. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for subscribing. Sign up, like us, uh, and you'll get notified whenever we go up again. Should be another one a little bit later this week. Also about crypto, helping people uh, get into wallets that they may have been locked out of. So stay tuned for that. And goodbye, everybody. Adios. Um, 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 